All right, welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are so honored that you have taken the time out of your busy schedule to join us here today. Um, we trust that God is blessing where you are, your church, your pastor, the, the work of God going on in your city. We're excited about it. It is an Acts 238 day and hour. And we are right in the throes of East Coast Conference 2023. And, and we've had such a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost, great ministering of the Word of God. The Holy Ghost has been talking to us all week long. And some of you are here and will be watching this after the fact. Some of you are not able to make it. Um, so we hope maybe we can bring a little East Coast Conference to you and be a blessing to you and to your church. But if we can get people in love with the Word of God, in love with the doctrine of the apostles, blessing your local church, then Biblos has accomplished its, its mission. Today I have a, a wonderful guest here with us that has taken the time to be with us. He preached a masterpiece yesterday for us, and we're honored he can be with us today on Biblos. It's great to have Brother Jonathan Alviar with us today. Well, thank you, Brother Urshan. It's a real privilege not only to be at East Coast Conference and be able to minister, but to take part in this podcast. And I think this podcast that you've been doing is providing a tremendous and valuable service to the kingdom of God. You know, years ago, my grandfather had harvest time. And um, it's, it was criticized in its early days. It was, it was really respected in its later days. And then, you know, time goes on and people change. And I have found that the podcast is today's generations. It's a form of communication they really identify with. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's nothing for a, a young adult to put their headphones in and start jogging and they'll go on a mile, two mile jog and they'll listen to a mm -hmm. podcast. Absolutely. It's a neat, really, it's a neat tool. I listen to it when I'm traveling. Praise God. So, yeah. Yeah, people are excited about it. I'm excited about it. It just, you know what I actually believe it is? I believe it's an extension of the Deuteronomy 6 mandate to talk about it when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise up, let it be as frontlets between your eyes, mm -hmm. bind it for a sign upon thine arm, thine hand, uh, teach it diligently unto thy children. Um, the, the Urshan family years ago would sit around and my father and the elders of our family would would just dive into the the beautiful truths they, they were just excited about the word of god mm -hmm. and that got into us right so my brother and i would do it my father would do it my grandfather would do it and then one day i mean it got to where on holidays <clears throat> the holy ghost would break out in the living room mm -hmm. we would just get into something that was doctrinally beautiful mm -hmm. and before you know it this guy's popping off that guy's popping off this guy's in genesis that guy's in revelation and before you know it there's this energy in the room and somebody said we need to record this mm -hmm. and so this was our way of inviting the world into the living room to tell them that hero israel the lord our yes. god is one lord that's great Isn't that, that's tremendous that's our little way of doing it yeah because i i think that like when the bible says that uh, the people of Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua mm. and all the elders that outlived Joshua. And then there arose another generation that knew not the Lord. And that generation takes a lot of 
heat, and rightly so for that. We might focus on that. But to me, it means there was a breakdown in the generation prior to that one Hmm. in conveying the truths and the experiences that had been passed down before them. So if there arose a generation that knew not the Lord, neither the works that he had done, mm. is because somebody had failed to relate it yeah. and to keep it going. And so I think we have that responsibility today in whatever means that God has placed in our, in our hands, in our disposal. Well, the phones we have are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Yes. And it's no secret that it's destroying people. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean in the church, in society. Society is degenerating. When the scripture said, because iniquity would abound, the love of many would grow cold. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a more applicable verse to the per, the prevalence and the pervasiveness of electronic digital media. Yes. <clears throat> now, there's people that are going to try to stick their head in the sand and say, no internet, no phones, no digital anything. Let's just stick with mm-hmm. paper and pencil, and and they're going to try to preach against the con, the method. But man, if we don't have a voice in this arena, and that's what we've fought to do, and, and we've we've really contended for, mm-hmm. we've got to have a voice—a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Well, as you say, I think technology uh, as a whole. Uh, creates a tremendous amount of hazards and risks and pitfalls and a lot of people will get consumed by it and destroyed by it. Uh, This is oversimplifying the matter, but nobody died in car wrecks until there were cars, you know. (laughs) And I don't think anybody wants to go back to the horse and buggy. Yeah. So the, the fact that there are risks is just a a part of the reality. But then um, navigating through that is where our challenge is today. And I don't claim to have, you know, the definitive answers, but I do think that a lot of what has happened uh, with the advance of technology has a divine quotient behind it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, here's something that I think about, for instance. When, you know, when when Greece under Alexander the Great conquered the nations that he did, uh, it's not just a story about Greek conquests. It's a story about opening up regions that were inaccessible before. The same thing with the Roman Empire. So when the Romans uh, conquered much of Europe, and the Roman roads are, you know, familiar to everybody, mm-hmm. and, and some of them still exist. Yes. Again, it's not just a, a story about the Roman uh, uh, proficiency and being able to conquer these nations, but it was, it was nations and city-states that had existed by themselves, alone, disconnected, for centuries, but the Romans brought them together under one empire so that when Jesus was born, all of this had already been done. Hmm. The Greeks had already done their conquering. The Romans had done theirs. 
And although you can look at the brutality of it all and wonder how God could be in that, nonetheless, it opened up those nations. Paul would have never been able to access a lot of the places he went if those avenues had not already been opened up. And so then I think, too, about, for instance, the Silk Road that connected Europe to Asia. It wasn't about silk. Mm -mm. That might have been the motivation, but the object was to open up the pathways to the Orient. Yes. Then Genghis Khan comes along, you know, and he was a brutal conqueror too. And he conquered everything all the way from China to, to Europe. And uh, he had a very uh, brutal style. But once he finished what he had done, I read a book on it and it said that uh, even in his crude way, though he had started out being an uneducated man, that he instituted a system of laws that was so effective that for many hundreds of years, you could walk with a gold plate on top of your head mm. from Europe all the way to the Orient because of the law that he had put in place. Wow. Well, to me, that's not just a story about Genghis Khan and conquest. It's a story of opening up pathways for what? The gospel. For the gospel. For the gospel. This is all about the gospel. You know, so when Columbus sailed west looking for spices and pepper and whatever because that's what the people were demanding society was wanting that might have been his motivation but it opened up pathways to the americas where we are today mm -hmm. and and so i see that in all of this god had a hand in bringing people together that would have never been together yeah for the gospel. For the gospel. Okay, so, uh, you know, I see much of that happening today through technology. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, you spoke of your, your father with, uh, uh, or your, was your grandfather? With harvest time? Yes, with mm -hmm. harvest time. Mm -hmm. Uh, with radio, my dad was on radio too. In, in on the mission field, he got up every morning, five o'clock in the morning, wow. and went and did wow. a radio wow. program. Yeah. and that's how we reached people. A you lot of people, people came to church because of the radio program. They would have never known we existed yeah. without that. Well, it's happening here. We'll have entire row rows full of people that are from denominational churches that have driven by for years, and they'll say, the the algorithm because of our geographic proximity turned us to you mm -hmm. and then we listened and they said oh my goodness and now we've been you know pentecostals apostolics will get vilified yes you know um what was it the jews told when 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 paul came to at the end of the book of acts the jews met him there they said we don't know anything about this christianity all we know it is all is that everywhere it's spoken against mm -hmm. <laughs> yes and and then Paul gets a chance to, to have audience with them and, and revival breaks out. Mm -hmm. Well, it's happening here. It is, I was, I think I might have mentioned this to you the other day. We, we are door knockers. We, we knock doors. We run buses. We run van routes. And we might not, on a good day, a regular day without a big push, we'll knock 500 to 1,000 doors with a, with a group of people. And, um, you know, we have dedicated people. Mm -hmm. I can reach 10 times that 
with this method. Yes. And you, you might have even said it when you were preaching, you know, we're falling behind here. Yes. The world is outpacing if we're going to hold to antiquated methods. Right, right. And, and yet we're taking a great deal of heat from, you know, some of our own. Yeah. And I understand the fears. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in some ways I do, some ways I don't. Um, and I'd, yet, I'd love to hear this. And yet coming up again through a missionary home in a missionary environment and knowing what we had to do, uh, our resources were very limited. We didn't even have a car when I was growing up. Hmm. Hmm. So, you know, my dad would ride taxis to go to the radio station to, to preach on the radio. And again, the vast majority of people that came were through the radio program. Mm -hmm. And I know that today, not that many people listen to radio anymore. No, they really don't. There was a day when uh, almost every church had a radio program. When I first started preaching, I I was uh, attending the church in Baton Rouge. Brother B.A. Spell was my pastor. And when I first spoke to him about the ministry, I I asked about... um, um, maybe becoming youth leader, getting our youth together and doing something. I, w- I was 18 years old. I really didn't think he would agree to it because <laughs> I was too young, but I just I wanted him to know that I had a burden and desire. And he shocked me because he responded and said, yes, we'll start next week with the youth service, and I also want you to take over the radio program. Oh, my. So for two years, I preached our Sunday morning radio program, half hour. Program. I did not know that. Yes, okay. and uh, along with doing our youth uh, services, and then I left evangelizing from there. So that was m- kind of my earliest experience, too. And it's a whole different thing speaking into a mic without an audience. Yeah. Nobody's saying amen. Nobody, yeah. It's know, a different thing. You've you got to have your thoughts together. So it, it kind of <laughs> pushed me out of my comfort zone to do that. But at the same time, my f- that was my family's background. Well, nowadays, that's changed. People are not listening to the radio. No. But they are on the Internet, mm-hmm. and they are surfing the Internet. And they're, they're encountering a lot of junk and yeah. a lot of uh, deception, a lot of lies, a lot of this, a lot of that. And I understand that that's what some of our brethren are afraid of. Yeah. But at the same time, if they're doing that, shouldn't they encounter truth? Somewhere along the way. Well, somewhere in here, there's been a conflation between the internet and television. Yes. Um, and which we adamantly stand against television yes. and against Hollywood and mm-hmm. against any purveyor of sin and degeneracy and filth and the agenda of this fallen society. Mm-hmm. The difference, though, one of the key differences is we control this medium. Yes. What's coming across is very little indifference to you know an audio recording a matter of fact podcast is basically an audio recording yes one element of this is it does come across youtube so you can see a video of a person head talking but um but a podcast is just in your ears and you're going about your daily business and it's not too different from you know radio preaching right of right. years gone by right so I, I realize that they are concerned about some of the pitfalls you can run into but if you're going to look at it honestly, you can get in a car and go to the wrong side of town or you can go to church. Yes. And so the method is not the issue. It's, right. it's your motive. It's your heart. It's your spirit. And again, 
even that would probably trigger some people because, you know, a lot of people try to use that argument for television, but there's really no redeeming value in television. No, no. And I think that television, even though, you know, on one sense I could get, I could understand the argument that it reaches into places that we didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. But it was an imperfect medium because the content was controlled by producers and yeah. so on. And it is extremely expensive. Plus, television was primarily an entertainment yeah. vehicle. Whereas this is, is, is much different yeah. than that. And it's something that everybody, as you already pointed out, has in their pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I go to Brazil now because, again, when I was growing up, we not only didn't have a car, we didn't have a phone. Mm-hmm. And... And it it would take a long time, even if you had the money, to get a phone line installed, to finally get one, yeah, and then to be able to use it. So then I saw, with my repeated trips going back to Brazil as I do, that they leapfrogged the whole thing, and bypassed the landline, and now everybody has a cell phone. Everybody, you get on a subway train. Everybody on there has a has a cell phone in their hand, yeah, or going down the road, and so, uh, and and so do we. And even those that are criticizing this method <laughs> have the same technology in their pocket, and they utilize it for their own purposes. And and I'm not trying to disparage them because I again I do understand the fear and the concern. And a lot of them are good men. Yes. And they're trying to be careful and cautious, and I respect that. I do. And what we don't want to do is throw it open to the point where younger men come along and think that just anything yeah. is permissible. That's it. And so there has to be some safeguards and some caution and and all of this built into it. And that's where I think debate and discussion is so important Mm -hmm. so that these things can be brought up and addressed. For instance, some of the things I mentioned yesterday, uh, you know, those of us maybe that utilize, say, live streaming or whatever, we need to also uh, be respectful of our brethren. Well, that's it. And, and, uh, you know, not use it as a proselyting tool and not use it to pastor other people's saints vicariously. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the idea of of just focusing on somebody by themselves, and this is just me worshiping, uh, because number one, that person's worship is individual between them and God, yes, and they don't may not want it broadcast out to the world, yes, and we also don't want to give uh, critics a, a, a reason to just laugh and mock and make fun yes. and and make memes or reels out of it yes. you know that's a good point uh, such a good point. and and so i think worship if it's presented needs to be done in a respectful way so that people will see the the totality of it and be attracted to it rather yeah. than you know something else come out of it that's a that is a fine point that comes from a a very grounded awareness mm-hmm. Worship is intensely personal. Yes. And apostolic worship is the outpouring of a person's heart to God, their soul crying out to God. To take and zoom in on that and to market that or to use it to some marketing dynamic or promotional dynamic, that's that's not right. Right. And it may not even have been done for that reason. Yeah. But once it's out there, it's hard to control what others might do with it. Yeah. And of course, that can be true of our preaching too. They can extract little snippets 
you know, and make us look like fools. But, uh, and, and we're going to have to deal with some of that. Yeah. It, it's just a fact of the matter. And, and again, we are going to probably make the occasional gaffe that somebody is going to, <laughs> you know, by nightfall, it's going to be known all the way to Uganda. Yeah. But, uh, and that's one of the hazards and risks of it. But. Well, didn't they do that to Paul? Yeah. You know, they took Paul's words, they twisted his words, they, they distorted what he was saying, and Paul would address that. You're going to have that happen. And, and they did it to Jesus. You know, they, they waited to see if there was some word they could trap him in. They yeah. would ask him trick and leading questions to try to catch him. There's something else about all this that I, I wanted to, to mention to you. I was going to use this in a message someday, but maybe this is the better medium for it. Mm -hmm. And this is something that really hit me some time back. Uh, I was I was reading about the the seven churches, and I came to the church at uh, of Pergamus, and you you probably know much more about this than I do, but it it really struck me there that the Lord says where Satan's seat is mm -hmm. and where Satan dwelleth. Now, he didn't say that about any other place. So at, at a glance, somebody might say, well, is that maybe just a figure of speech that the opposition was so intense that it was as though that's where Satan's seat is. And at the same time, and I don't know how someone else might feel about it, we know that Satan is not omnipresent like mm -hmm. God is. He has to have a presence somewhere. Yes. And, and you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we will relegate to Satan the same attributes that we, uh, that we give to God. So omnipresent or all-knowing, well, he's not all-knowing. Yeah. And I don't think he knows what we're thinking until we express it. Yes. And I also don't know that I have ever personally ever had a run-in with Satan himself. The main bad guy himself. Yeah, because I don't think I'm that important on the, <laughs> on the scale of things, you know. But he's got a vast network of evil and yes. principalities and powers, and we certainly come against that. And we attribute it to Satan because it is his, his network. But I think he's probably got a lot bigger f fish to fry than me. But, <laughs> but he, he does have a seat somewhere. I mean, he's got a headquarters somewhere. At least that's the impression I get. Now, I think in the Old Testament, at least during the time of, say, Daniel, I, I would have said that maybe the seat of Satan would have been Babylon because mm -hmm. that was the center of yep. power. Yep. You know, Babylon was the head of, of gold, of the image that, that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream and Daniel uh, interpreted. And so uh, that's where all of the main concentration of power was. And when, when the prince of Persia rose to withstand the archangel that was coming with a message and held him back for 21 days, that could not have been a man. Yes. And it could not have been a, a, an inferior or lesser entity. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised, and you may differ with this, but if that prince of Persia may have been Satan himself. Okay. You know. Yeah. Whether it was or wasn't, I, I, I just feel like that's probably where Satan's power was concentrated mm -hmm. at that point. At that point. 
Okay, but fast forward then to the churches of Asia, and Jesus says, he could have said anything. He could have said this about any other church. He said, Pergamos, where Satan's seat is. Okay. Where Satan dwells. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned Antipas being a martyr, mm -hmm. and so there was opposition there. So it made me, it made me look into Pergamos and wonder, what was it about Pergamos? that would have made this such a important place in terms of the powers of darkness. Yes. And of course, uh, you know, when you read about it, you find that it was a place where there were several, the, the headquarters for several of the uh, pagan religions of the time were there and their, their temples were there and the ruins are there today. One other thing that was really important was that there was a huge library there that was second only to the one in Alexandria. Alexandria, yeah. So something like a hundred thousand volumes, which was world. Yes, because renowned. they were all hand yeah. copied. Yeah, you know, this isn't something like you go down to Books a Million or, or the local library or even the Library of Congress. Every one of these volumes was hand copied, and so every one was extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. To have a hundred thousand or more uh, of these volumes there, and and we know predominantly what those volumes contained, because it's like in 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 Ephesus where they burnt the books of witchcraft and so on, and it amounted to a vast amount. Of of uh, of wealth, and so I, I I'm sure that the volumes they had in Pergamus were all predominantly paganistic, and and certainly nothing that we would want anybody else to read. Mm -hmm. And so there was this concentration of knowledge there, right? But but Pergamus was was also famous for another reason. And that was, it was the center of the making of parchment. Oh, wow. In fact, in Portuguese, the word for parchments is pergaminos, which comes from the word pergamus. Wow. wow. The very name pergamus has to do with parchments. Well, parchments, of course, was, was the material they started using to write on it. It replaced papyrus because mm -hmm. it was far more enduring and long-lasting. It was made out of skins, mm -hmm. various different animal skins, lamb skins being the most popular. They did do that some in Israel, but it, was, it came predominantly from Pergamus. Okay. So Pergamus was where parchment was exported all over the world. Wow. wow. And it also happened to be where this great library was, right? Well, so I see the, I see, uh, to me, in, in my mind anyway, there's a connection there. Here's a center of idolatry and paganism, large library of anti-God literature, no doubt, predominantly, if not 100%. Mm -hmm. And it's also where parchment is made and exported or prepared and exported for the purpose of disseminating more anti-God stuff. Wow, wow, wow. But Paul writes from prison and he says, bring my coat. 
mm-hmm. and also bring me the parchments. Bring me the parchments. <laughs> For what? To write the epistles. Yes. The epistles that this. we read from today <clears throat> were inscribed on parchment that in great likelihood, and it may have come from Israel, but Paul was in a Roman prison. Yeah. And so it's quite likely that the parchment that he wrote the Gospels on came from Pergamos. Came from Pergamos. The seat of Satan, mm. where Satan dwells. So he's using a medium that is connected to all of this and exactly. has been used for such evil. Exactly. That's the point that I'm making. So, uh, and, and then the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Some of the w- was papyrus. I think the book of Isaiah that that was one of the largest uh, surviving scrolls, was papyrus. But much of it was parchment, and that's the reason why it survived for so long, Yeah, because it didn't decay the same way. And, of course, it was kept in these clay jars. So these, <laughs> these Dead Sea Scrolls, that once they were discovered, backed up the authenticity of the Word of God that gives us the added confidence that we have parchment very likely from Pergamos, from Pergamos. the seed of Satan mm. so uh, uh, this might be a very thin point but I think it's a, it's an important one so here we have a medium that is being used largely to disseminate evil wickedness, false doctrine and so on but through the same medium mm. the word of God is getting out yeah. The gospel is getting out. And so while it looks like the devil has it under his hand and under his control, God's getting his work done. Well, that's it. And so I think that's a very important point to consider. It, it really is. There's so many strands of Pentecost, and some of them are very balanced. Some of them can be very extreme on both left and the right. And anybody can take a caricature of what we are and put it on, you know, display and say, oh, look at these people, they're crazy. And as long as we remain silent and allow those caricatures to stand, then it does us a disservice. Mm-hmm. But if you can bring a reasoned articulation of the Word of God and, a, and the, the, the idea of Biblos was the books, to bring the books, let's open the books. Mm-hmm. And let's fall in love with the book. Oh, there's a vast hunger, Brother Alviar. Yes. And this is from young people. Yes. You know, we're, here we are as the church ages and as one generation that has done it a certain way as, as aging, their grandkids are co- contacting and, and can you please talk about this? I've never understood this. Could you understand? Could you help me understand what mm-hmm. it is? Because I've heard it. My parents have said it. My grandparents have said it. But... I just can't quite grasp it. So we'll take a whole episode and we'll dedicate it to uh, the plural pronouns you know, in the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Where does that come in? How does that play a role? Is that persons in the Trinity or is that a deeper thing? And in oneness, um, apostolic ranks, we have great information to give on that. It's a beautiful revelation. Yes. So what, a, what an opportunity. Yes. What an opportunity. Now, I, I want to ask you something here real quick, but before I do, I want to... I want to actually make an announcement because okay. this <clears throat> this session is actually sponsored. Um, this is sponsored by a good friend of mine, Brother Stephen Gill. He's a young minister under the leadership of Pastor Luke St. Clair. 
He is a scholar and he has written five books. He's a contributor to several more. He is a oneness scholar. He is the one who wrote the history and development of the doctrine of the Trinity. If you haven't ordered that, go to Amazon. You can download that. It traces the development of the doctrine of the Trinity back before the times of Christ, back into the Platonic times, the Socratic times, how it comes from pagan origins and affects us today. He has a new book out. It's called The Last Man, Reclaiming Father and Son Language in the Oneness Pentecostal Movement. He's going to be releasing it Friday, November the 3rd. And he wrote it to help, he wrote it to help this generation understand that using the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not a scary thing. It's not taboo. It doesn't belong to Trinitarians. It's just the scripture and it's there for a reason. So he goes into great detail about that. This is for Christian thinkers of all stripes. You will benefit from this book, but it's written with oneness Pentecostals in mind. You can pre-order this book. It is at stephengillbooks at gmail.com, stephengillbooks at gmail.com. You can pre-order. The price is $10 plus shipping if you pre-order it. If you wait till November the 3rd, the price will go to the regular market price, and you can get it on Amazon. So you don't want to miss that. The Last Man Reclaiming Father and Son Language in the Oneness Pentecostal Movements. Movement. Okay. You have repeatedly said that there needs to be dialogue. I think that in general, in our ranks, we have well-meaning, well-intentioned people who are concerned about new technology because it's foreign, it's unfamiliar, and you can take it to great excess. Mm -hmm. But you can also get in a car and go 100 miles an hour down the highway to, yes, yes. to a residential area. And in doing so, what they do is they try, in trying to control it or trying to eliminate it, they, they, they actually bottleneck, and a couple things happen when they do that. That first of all, they miss out. But second, a lot of their kids and grandkids will go underground, and they're looking online anyway. Yes. And so here you are saying, don't, don't, don't. And they're saying, amen, 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 but they're living a double life. And yeah. so you haven't addressed it. What yes. you've done is you've driven it underground. Right. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying we capitulate to sin and we just go along to get along. I'm not saying that. We take complete stands on things that are black and white. Doctrinal issues. Mm -hmm. But to eliminate dialogue is to is to avoid the issue that is right here that is that is going to destroy this generation if we don't get in front of it mm -hmm. and miss out on a great, great tool for evangelizing. You mentioned Sao Paulo, Brazil. Yes. Most people watching this can't identify with the congestion and the urban concentration. What is that? I mean, you mentioned it the other day, but our audience has no clue mm -hmm. the dense, packed dynamic of Sao Paulo. When I stay occasionally at a hotel, <clears throat> Uh, near downtown that I, I have stayed at a number of times and I can go up to the top floor which uh, is at the very top and there's there's a pool up there which is almost never in use but you it has a lookout so I can look out from there and I've taken a lot of pictures 
in any direction, 360 degrees, as far as the eye can see, high-rise buildings. I'm talking about tens of thousands of them, each one with hundreds and perhaps thousands of, of uh, tenants. Mm. These are not business buildings. Some of them are, but most of them are apartment buildings, small apartments. They have guards at the entrance. There's no way you could get up into them, not without an invitation. Absolutely no way. Uh, and and I and this is true of cities all over the world. You've traveled. I have a picture of a high-rise building in China that it said had thirty thousand inhabitants. In thirty thirty thousand in one building. In one building. That's that's the population. Of, of, a, of a, a decent-sized town. Yes. And many people who would criticize what we're talking about right now mm -hmm. are in, in <laughs> they're in towns of 500 people, 1,000 people. Exactly. have no frame of they, reference. They have absolutely no understanding or, or relevance to what we're talking about. So not only would you not be able to get into those buildings, but in a lot of those countries, it would be illegal. You know, you, you, there's just no way. It's impossible. Uh, what should we do? Should we just say, well, they're doomed? You know, it's just too bad that they live under those circumstances, but they're doomed. Uh, so that goes back to what we were saying yesterday about the Bible chained to the pulpit. That okay? Yes. Let's please tell them this story. <laughs> this was that was that that just floored me when you said it. Yeah. It encapsulated what you're describing. Right. So I, I had visited the Bible Museum last week and and was reminded of this. So William Tyndale in England was, uh, he wanted to make the, the Bible had already been translated uh, to English, um, the name escapes me now, but, but he was wanted- Was it the Vulgate? Uh, no, sir, there was another name, but uh, he wanted to make the Bible available to everybody, and the powers that be did not want that. Because the common man could not be trusted with the mysteries of God. Exactly. And also, it was a control issue, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as long as the priest could give his own interpretation, or the vicar could give his own interpretation of what the Bible said, he could control the people. Mm -hmm. They didn't want the people to know what the Bible said. So William Tyndale was uh, imprisoned, and then he was burned at the stake. And according to the story, his dying prayer was that God would open the eyes of the king, who happened to be King Henry VIII. So three years later, King Henry VIII did begin allowing the Bible in English to be in every church, but it had to be chained to the pulpit, chained to the pulpit. so that only the ministry had access to it, not the people. So uh, they did that, I and mean, that was at least some relaxing of the of the law. But so then they had they started having readers that were authorized to go in there and read it, and the people would come in just to hear the Bible read, mm, mm, mm. and they would hear it read and weep. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine ah. never hearing it before? Because for so many years it was in Latin, they didn't understand it. Yes. You no, know, they they preached in Latin and everything it was completely out of the people's knowledge. And so here these people are. This is the closest they can get to the book, and they're hearing it and they're weeping. Mm. 
And so, I mean, we look at that and we think, how absurd, because these people have a right to. And and nowadays, we we all, you know, the Bible is the most most published book in the world. We know that. We also know that it lies unread on, on many a coffee table or a shelf, even in many of our church homes, I'm sad to say. Yes. But... Not that long ago, it wasn't accessible to everybody. Mm. Well, now you've got whole segments of the world that do not have access to the Word of God or the truth that we preach. But now we do. Now we do. And to me, it's not only right to do it, it's criminal not to. Well, that's it. That's it. If we have it in our power and we don't use it, Are we going to have to answer to God for that? You know, I've had fierce criticism from some quarters. Now, overwhelmingly, it's positive. We we will literally get hundreds of messages a week thanking us for exploring the things of God. And really, we built this for new people who did not know this gospel. Mm -hmm. But what we found were two things I didn't anticipate. Um, a, A second thing that emerged was young adults struggled to articulate there is a there is a famine of teaching mm-hmm. in this hour so when you sit down and take a topic that is scary to them and you just walk through it provide historical context provide a oneness perspective rather than a trinitarian perspective and their eyes open young adults are saying i love this and I, here's a, this is another one this is more of a local dynamic it has served as a discipleship mm-hmm. influence. So we have several new people that come to church here in Durham, and, and they, they will come to church in other places. And, and by the way, if you're watching Biblos, we want you to thrive in your church, support your pastor, um, get behind the man of God that God has placed in your life, and use principles, use the doctrinal principles, and teach somebody the Word of God. Help them fall in love with it. Um, but new people come in and say, oh, and they, they begin to conform to the word of God so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting to get up on Sunday to do it. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize, what I didn't fully take into account, is this is a 24-hour teacher. Yes. And I'll, we'll record this video. And five years from now, there will be someone that stumbles across this video. That's right. At 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now, don't call me at two in the morning. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. But yeah. you, you aren't just one person creating one video. You become a 24-hour outlet mm-hmm. for anyone in the world that wants to hear the gospel. Yes. What a, what a treasure. Absolutely. And so even our services, they may have an impact in real time. But if somebody sees it or hears it two months from now, it can be relevant to them in that moment oh my and 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 you know we and we we're not we're certainly not the avant-garde in terms of of technology and so on in our assembly but um my sons have have been able to put together uh, my oldest son who is now the pastor has done so um very effectively i think and we've got many bible studies that are connected to our church yeah. uh, site. So we've had new people coming along that once they were directed to it, and we have a way of being able to track what lessons they have yeah. viewed and, and 
and they've gone through them all. Isn't that something? All. Yeah. So that represents hunger right there. Yeah, it absolutely and does. what a tool. What a tool. You know, <laughs> we're, we're eating hamburgers somewhere or, go, or sleeping, and they're, yeah. and they're digesting this. Well, if you look at this, uh, Brother Tim Copeland preached a message one time, and I just heard the title. I don't know what he preached, but I heard the title. And I took that title. You know how you'll hear a good title, mm-hmm. and you'll go, whoo, the, the word inside of you will start doing flip-flops. But <clears throat> he preached a message called God Spins Men. And he took it from the scripture that said, I will, I will spend and I will be spent. And looked at from that perspective, you know, the, the, wom- the kingdom of God is like the woman that, that loses the coin and she sweeps her house diligently until she finds that coin. So if you want to look at, you know, like Isaiah said, come and buy without money and without price. Mm-hmm. There is this commerce, but it's not, it's not filthy lucre. It's for the souls of men. And there is a commoditization mm-hmm. in the kingdom. It's the business of the kingdom. I must be about my father's business. Mm-hmm. And one of the great investment principles is, and it's a buzzword in our world today, make money while you sleep. Mm-hmm. So they're buying passive income assets there. Mm-hmm. And we promote that. We want, we want people to be blessed. Mm-hmm. If you buy a rental house, if you buy an investment, while you are sleeping and while you are working your nine to five, it's producing. This is very much like that. Yes. And, and the scripture also teaches the kingdom of God is like that, that, that he knows not how, but while he's sleeping and as he's going along, it brings forth, forth first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Yes. What an opportunity to multiply yourself as a teacher, as, as an apostolic, the message multiplies. And this hungry, hungry world yes. that has no access. You, you know what's interesting, Brother Urshan, is, and this is just one instance uh, of many, I'm sure, but uh, there was a lady from Kenya that started listening to our uh, Sunday morning live stream. Mm-hmm. She was in Kenya listening to it. Her husband was in Conyers ah. working. So she heard our program, or saw our program in Kenya, directed her husband to our church. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. And then what we've also done, and this is just something we did, but we, we put flags up of, uh, it may not be all that aesthetic, but we put flags up of the different nationalities that were in our assembly mm-hmm. at the time, and people uh, in our area that saw that realized we were not an exclusive Isn't that racist church yeah and so the vast majority of the people that have come have come <laughs> through our online presence for that reason okay you just said something okay. i, I want to hit the pause button i want to grab it okay we're not an exclusive racist church right that, that's a that's a deep well because people talk about the old paths mm-hmm what I find out is the old paths they're talking about is the white Anglo-Saxon old paths. Yes. And I'm saying this from a Persian immigrant's lineage mm-hmm. and, and whose best friend was a black man in G.T. Haywood. And people will take those early 1900 songs that they wrote and forget their culture they came from and will 
pull it in, mm-hmm. make it basically a rural agrarian white dynamic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, here's the obvious problem with that. When I went to Honduras, and I, you know, being familiar with Brazil, you'll you'll identify with this. I got there, and if I sang what was the old path songs there, they'd look at me blankly. They would sing something um, like "Alabare, Alabare, Alabare, mm-hmm. Alabare, El Señor," mm-hmm. and that would be an old song in their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in the French Creole culture that I ministered in for many, many years, they had their their songs that were old favorite songs of theirs. What old paths are we talking about? Right. Are, are we, and I know many do, and they don't mean to. I know they don't mean to. But in their zeal to contend for what is, what is beautiful to them, what is dear to them, they're conflating the old paths of, of the word of God mm-hmm. to familiar cultural things cultural. that they grew up with. Exactly. And when you come from a, a foreign mission field, and, and you've been exposed to another culture, it's so obvious, it's so blatant, you know? <laughs> and and uh, like anybody who wants to be involved in missions has got to factor in the culture quotient. <laughs> if you don't, you're gonna be beating your head against the wall. I oh, mean, yeah. the gospel is the gospel. We know that that doesn't change. But uh, working through cultural issues is a, is a big thing. We have some of that here in our country with the diversity of races and so on. Yeah. And I think our churches, I was talking to somebody a little bit ago, I think our churches need to reflect the cross-section of the environment that we're in. Mm-hmm. When Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, He's not talking about way out there. He's talking about right around where the church is. Right around the church. And, you know, where our, our home church is right now is is predominantly it's a, a, a black environment. Mm-hmm. And so that's the community we should be reaching for. Yes. And the Latino community and so on. And this, and this is not about race, but they're the ones we need to be reaching. And they need to know that when they come, they're in the safe environment. Praise God. And, and and by seeing these flags, you know, they knew it was a safe place to yep. come. Yep. And so I'm I'm happy for that. Mm. I, I think that's a tremendous advantage. It is. Um, now, are we winning everybody? No, no, nobody <laughs> does. Yeah. But we're winning some of them, and and that's a big thing. I did want to add one more thing to the uh, the technology aspect. And that is with the uh, advent now of AI, mm. you know, yeah. artificial intelligence. I think it's taking it to a whole other level. Yeah. And along with it, there's more pitfalls and more risks and dangers and so on. But Brother Urshan, it has made it so easy to translate material into other languages. I didn't think about that. Oh, brother, the 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 groups of of Bible lessons that my son had put together, mm-hmm. for instance. With AI, it can translate Just, them in moments. Wow. And so we're being contacted wow. by missionaries that might have taken hours, days, and months to translate mm-hmm. series. Can translate. When I go to Brazil now, if, I, if I'm going to use a message that I've preached before, and I have the, the notes in English, I run it through Google Translate program and yeah. boom, in moments I have it 
And knowing Portuguese as I do, I can check the grammar. Yeah. The grammar is almost impeccable, even even the scriptures. Wow. And so it, it reduces, it, it used to take me hours to do it because I'd have to have my dictionary out mm -hmm. and make sure I had the right words. Yeah. Because I've been away from the language enough that when you, you only use it a few times a year, you may not think of the right word. And so through that, it has made it so much easier too. You know, what you're describing is a leap in technological uh, ability akin to the printing press. Tremendous leap. Isn't it amazing that when the printing press came out, they sought to kill men? Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And, and when the Bible was translated. They sought to kill men. Sought to kill men. And now they seek to kill men. And, and the killing today is the assassination of a character. It's to imply they're liberal. But now we are. We preach modesty. When some of my, the actual real liberal people in my life, mm -hmm. one of, there, there's one uh, folks, there's some folks I love very much that, they're part of a group that would be considered by some liberal. They said, Nathan, if you're a liberal, God help us. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Jesus said the time will come when they that kill you will think they do God's service. And it really hurts me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, it hurts me to, f to know that I'm being considered by some of my peers as being a sellout. Yeah. And, and a compromiser when I haven't changed what I preach at all. Mm -hmm. uh, we're being judged these days not by what we preach, but how we preach it. Yeah. Someone came to our assembly, um, I think maybe a year or two ago, and preached a message. And in it, so this is not original with me, but in it I think was a, a tremendous uh, revelatory point for me when the disciples after the resurrection were fishing and not catching anything. Mm. And Jesus in the morning, children, have you any meat? Cast your net on the right side of the boat. Mm. All they had to do was reposition the boat. Oh, just reposition the Reposition the boat. The boat. I think that's where we're at. Wow, wow. You wow, know, wow, sometimes wow. it's not a matter of changing what we preach, it's not changing what we preach, it's yeah. just repositioning the boat. They argued with him. Yeah. They argued with him. Mm -hmm. Was it what one of them said, nevertheless at thy word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we must, you know. So uh, I think that's where we're at. And I don't want anybody using my name or yours to to justify doing something that's that's inappropriate spiritually or unbiblical. No. Well, we don't want that. We don't want it. Uh, we don't want somebody to piggyback onto our burden or vision or desire or, or perception of things and use it to advance their own agenda. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you know, even though we might be taking a lot of flack, I think we're doing the right thing. 30,000 people in one building. In one it. building. They're worth it. Yes. And, and when you, and like my son has been contacted by pastors around the country for uh, Bible studies in Russian, in Chinese, and this and that. Well, obviously we don't have it, but with the translators, we, because they're having people in their churches mm. in America mm. that are needing it. Yeah. Russian, Chinese, and so on. Yeah. So it's a valuable resource even in America, but can you imagine around the world? Oh. 
it is time. Yes. You preached. The message you preached was so appropriate. Mm -hmm. The discerning of the time. We have to know the time. My. And, and Jesus said, how is it that you, that you cannot discern this time? This time. And if we just go ahead blindly and, and try to ignore it and, and, and deny our responsibility in it, we might be held accountable. We're I, going to be held accountable. I believe it. And we can bemoan it. We can vilify it. Or we can grab a hold of it pointed in the right direction and we can preach this gospel yes and and you know i think maybe one of the last things i would say is someone told me years ago that there's always a kernel of truth in criticism mm -hmm. so i think that whenever we hear the criticism even if some of it is not well intended we can we can listen for maybe a kernel of truth and if yeah. there's adjustments we can make yes corrections we will make that will help make it uh, more effective and and not uh, ignorantly just run over maybe something that we don't need to run over. Then I think that's helpful. Well that's, said. That's, that's healthy. We need to do that too. Well, Bishop Alviar, thank you for your time today. Sure. It's my privilege. It's been a joy having you I'm all. I'm honored. I really am. <laughs> and I really applaud what you're doing and, and keep on keeping on. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be praying for you all in Georgia, the Atlanta metro area. Yes, sir. And those of you that are listening to this, take these, take these words to heart. Apply them. It's a great day. It is a great day to be apostolic. Let's use these tools. Let's reach our world. Let's love God. Let's fall in love with his word. Amen. Until next time, God bless you. God keep you. God cause his face to shine upon you. <laughs>